Furthermore, the equation E is equal to mc squared. Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio podcast. I am Isaiah Hankel with Cheeky Scientist. We have a great show for you today. This is the radio show for PhDs who want to get hired into their first or next job in industry and who want to thrive in business. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I'm Isaiah Henkel with Cheeky Scientist. We have a great show lined up for you today. We are talking to Chris Voss, a former FBI agent, best-selling author of Split the Difference. He's going to give you advanced FBI-level negotiation strategies and techniques that you can use for negotiating your salary offer very excited to have him on. He will be our first guest. He's our leadership guest. He'll be coming on in about 15, 20 minutes. Before then, we're going to go through a show me the data section where I'm showing you data that you haven't seen before about negotiating the money you're likely leaving on the table or that most PhDs leave on the table during the salary negotiations. PhDs, by far more than any other degree, PhDs and MDs actually, are the least likely to negotiate. doesn't make any sense. The data is going to show you that negotiation is something you should do and you can use to your advantage. Very few companies will withdraw an offer, for example, if you negotiate. Very few companies are unwilling to negotiate. There's money out there for you to make. You don't need to be paid at the same level as somebody with their bachelor's or their master's. You can leverage your degree to get paid more. We're going to show you exactly how to do that. Good to see everybody on. Thank you all for joining. For those of you who are Members of the Cheeky Scientist Association, you are here with us in the Zoom chat box. You will get to ask your questions to Chris and our other guests here. So again, thanks for joining us. Great to see you on Alejandra and Amy, Brent, Brian, Efrain, Greg, Jasmine, Christy, Laraz, Lokman, good to see you on, Manashari, Mario, May, Natalie, Nicole, Prachi, Toby, Vasueda, Jan, Zia, great to see you. If you're watching us here in the live stream in the group, Good to see you on too. And if you're watching us on YouTube, good to see you as well. So we're going to jump in to the show. I'm going to give you a couple of free bonuses just for showing up today. Uh, we like to reward those of you um, who spend your time with us live. So we have a live show up bonus that you can only get during the radio show right now when we're live. Go to cheekyscientist.com slash show dash up dash bonus. Dash 61919 negotiation quick guide. Don't worry, we're going to put that link for you in the chat box uh, if you're watching the live stream so that you can get this bonus. Negotiation quick reference guide for PhDs. That's what we are looking at here. Great to see all of you on. Again, go to this page. We just put the link in the chat box. Get this live bonus. It's only available now as we're ramping up to the show. Lisa just put it in the chat box. Again, cheekyscientist.com slash show up bonus and a bunch of numbers. We'll have to shorten that URL next time. Uh, but for now, it's in the chat box, no matter where you're watching this. Also, we have a very special webinar tomorrow. It's a webinar that's uh, sponsored by one of our advanced programs, Scientist MBA. This is a program that teaches you all of the advanced MBA level concepts that you would learn in top MBA programs, but applied to STEM industries. So the biotechnology, pharmaceutical, biopharmaceutical, medical devices, healthcare, et cetera, all of it is specifically uh, for you, PhDs or case studies that are specific in these industries. Um, it's the MBA level concepts uh, like economics and operations management, things that you have not had any exposure to very, very likely. It's taught by top MBAs, top PhDs. It's one of our most popular programs. You can learn more about it by going to cheekyscientist.com slash smba-learn-more. This will show you everything you need to know about the program at this point. And then enrollment opens on Monday. You can see the board of MBAs. Uh, you get a board back certificate when you pass this program. There's a special webinar tomorrow, and you can sign up for that webinar on this final link that we're going to give you. 
This webinar is specifically on mergers, acquisitions, takeovers, and restructurings. Obviously, in the biotechnology, the pharmaceutical industry, maybe not so obvious to you, um, but there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of restructurings. These things are happening all the time. You, you may not realize it. If you're up for a job somewhere, if you're getting hired, you have to ask yourself, why are they hiring? It's very likely because maybe they've merged with another company or they're restructuring internally or they're launching a new product line. Okay, all of these topics are going to be covered on this webinar. We're also going to cover industry hierarchy, the difference between private and public companies, startups, corporations, all of it's covered on this webinar. It's tomorrow, Thursday, June 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You sign up by going to this page, cheekyscientist.com slash mergers dash and dash acquisitions dash webinar. So cheekyscientist.com mergers and acquisitions webinar. You can do a Google search for cheeky scientist mergers and acquisitions webinar and it'll show up there for you too. All of these links will be available for you in the post show notes and they're available for you now in the comment box, whether you're watching us on Zoom or any of our other live streaming locations. So again, thank you all for being here. Just for showing up live, we'd like to give you that free bonus we mentioned at the beginning and invite you to reserve your seat at tomorrow's webinar. There are limited seats. Make sure that you go to this page and sign up now so you can learn from top MBAs uh, about mergers and acquisitions and things that you really need to know before you go on your next interview. We always want to invite you over to the Cheeky Scientist blog, cheekyscientist.com slash blog. You can see what's trending. We publish a lot of articles, all of the top content that's online that has to do with getting a job, advancing in your career for PhDs is here. You don't have to go anywhere else. Every week we post of the best, we post a best of industry transition articles of the week. Everything online that's about, that's quality information, quality data on resumes, on top jobs that are available, um, what's going on in academia, current industry trends. All of them are posted here weekly. And then we have our own articles that we publish too. The top trending article right now is this resume format gets PhDs hired five steps to writing a functional resume. If you don't know what a functional resume is, I often call it a relevancy resume because you're talking and about and highlighting your relevant transferable and technical skills instead of highlighting your academic job titles. Okay. So check out this article. It's very popular right now. I have it pulled up here on the screen. This resume format gets PhDs hired, five steps to writing a functional resume. If you've never heard of functional resume or relevancy resume, you need to look at this article. It's gonna change the way you approach a very important part of your job search. So if you're just joining us, we have a very special guest lined up for today, Chris Voss. He is a former FBI agent. He is a negotiator, a negotiation expert. He's gonna be talking to you about his best-selling book, Never Split the Difference, and giving you negotiation strategies that you can apply for your salary negotiations. He'll be on with us first. Then we're also going to bring on Mansi Khanna, who is in a regulatory writing role with Synchrogenics. She's going to talk to us about her career path. We always bring on a PhD who's in a new career path to talk about how they got into that position, what the position entails, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, what their career trajectory looks like, and we'll take questions from you as well. So we have a great show lined up. We're going to jump in now to the first segment, which is always the show me the data section. I'm going to bring on Jeanette McConnell, who's going to walk us through some very interesting data about negotiations. This is going to set us up for bringing Chris on in just about 10 minutes. So we'll bring Jeanette on now. I believe I have to make her co-host and we'll start going through some negotiation data. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? Hey, Isaiah. Great. I'm excited for today. Yeah, excited to have you on. And um, I know that we have a lot of exciting figures about negotiation. What are, you, what are you most excited about today when it comes to Chris being on and talking about salary negotiations? Um, I'm just really excited to get to hear from someone who is like the foremost expert in this, right? So we know a lot about negotiation, but to hear from someone directly from them um, with that level of expertise is something you don't get very often. And I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a, a great show. Okay, so let's jump into the data. And this data was gathered by Jeanette. So thank you, Jeanette, and lots of great things to go through here. So this first figure, uh, the title is the ZipRecruiter Annual Job Seeker Survey. It's on the ZipRecruiter.com blog. And what the figure is looking at is um, 
an answer to a question, if you are currently unemployed, do you feel financial pressure to accept the first job offer you receive? Why does this matter? Because a lot of you will feel a lot of pressure to accept whatever you're given after you make it through an interview. You get a job offer, maybe you've been in academia your whole life, maybe you're unemployed now, you're gonna feel that pressure, it's normal. Jeanette, can you walk us through this data? And I'll just set it up for people who are listening to us by audio. Um, it's, a, it's a bunch of bar graphs and on the x-axis are different age groups, 18 to 24, all the way up to 75 or older. And then on the y-axis is just percentage from zero to 100%. Three different colors in each bar graph. Uh, not sure for one color, no for another, and then yes for another. What are some of the trends that we see here, Jeanette? Yeah, this is a really interesting um, question to have asked, right? So are these people feeling pressure to just take what they can get because they're so worried that they need the money right now, right? That they can't um, be asking for anything else, right? right? And what they found is that as people got older, this pressure went away, right? Mm -hmm. So in the younger two brackets, you know, or like three brackets, I guess, between 18 to 44, right? These people feel about 50% of these people felt the pressure that they needed to um, accept that first job offer, right? right. They, their finances were so that they had to do that. And I think that this is valuable because they just felt this pressure, right? This doesn't actually mean that they needed to accept the first offer. Mm -hmm. And I think as someone who probably feels this way, right? Maybe you're feeling that financial pressure, especially if you're trying to leave academia or um, you're un already unemployed. Um, and to know that you're not alone in this, right? There's a lot of other people who are feeling this way, but to recognize that it's just a feeling, yeah. right? That you have, there is space to always negotiate and mm -hmm. always ask for what you're worth. Yeah, and for those of you who are looking at this, you know, you can look at your age group and you can see that, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that pressure or are not sure, uh, um, about the first job offer, you're going to feel it, especially as a PhD. If you've been in academia your whole life, you know, they're not just looking at PhDs here. We can tell you after working with, you know, thousands of PhDs that the pressure is intense. You want to accept that job offer because usually it's, you know, five figures higher than what you're currently making easily. Um, so it's really, really important for you to ignore that pressure the best you can, because there's more money on the table for you to make. And it's not just it's not just about getting more money. It's about being paid what you're worth. Like you don't want to get into a position that's going to stunt your entire salary trajectory and career trajectory in a position where you're paid the same as somebody, you know, with a bachelor's degree who has less experience or training than you do. So uh, another figure from the same study, the question here though is, did you accept the first wage or salary offer you received the last time you started a new job? So a series of bar graphs, again, the same age groups, same percentages on the y-axis, only two colors here. The first color negotiated for a higher pay. The other color in the, in the bar graph said accepted the first offer. For those of you listening by audio, spoiler alert, more than half of the people accepted the first, first off, offer in every single case. In some cases, it was high as 84%, 74%. Uh, what does this mean, Jeanette? Yeah, it means that people aren't negotiating, right? They, yeah. they aren't taking the steps to ask those simple questions um, and just see what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. And these people are missed, like the majority of them in, in every category, like you said, all the way from 18, they got mm -hmm. 75 or older on this, that the majority of people in all these categories are just going ahead and accepting what the employer is offering from that, that first offer. Yeah. They're missing out on so much money. And, you know, it's not, it's easy to say that, uh, I mean, really, it's just a comfort thing. People don't like to deal with uncertainty. And when you've invested so much into a job search, and employers will use this against you, by the way, which we'll talk about later. When you've invested so much into a job search, maybe a couple of weeks have gone by, all this energy, you've met everybody, you start to do something called intensity matching, where you're willing to sacrifice pay in exchange for the amount of time you've invested into that job search and the relationships you've started to build maybe, right? Some of the emotional connection rapport you have with the people there, the hope of just having it over and done with. So you get that offer and you're like, oh, it's good enough, it's fine. But you don't realize the implications of just, you know, getting paid 10% lower will have for the next 20 years of your career because every new promotion is based on that last salary. I mean, the numbers are, it's pretty staggering. 65% probably on average, no matter what age group mm -hmm. you're in. 
Um, and we know there's some gender differences here too. There's that Harvard Business Review study, which we're not looking at here, but it says nine, up to 97% of women don't negotiate, which is incredible. So how can we relieve some of that uncertainty? And this is where knowledge is power. You can learn what to do, what to say, so there's no uncertainty. You just go through these steps, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, one more figure from the same study here. The question is, what form of compensation is most important to you? Uh, we're looking at a series of bar graphs. Each of them are a single color this time, and then there's just different types of compensation um, listed. So like salary pay, health benefits, 401k, paid vacation, et cetera, all the way down to, to equity. Any surprises here in terms of what's the most important, Jeanette? Um, I don't think it's surprising, but it's worth noting that the most important thing for people is their salary, like their base salary. Right. right. And I think we often get distracted, especially if you're trying to work at like a fancy startup or, you know, a large company is offering you a signing bonus. You, they're trying to distract you from this base salary, which is the most important. So you need to remember that this is what matters to you first. And so this, this figure is good as a reminder that your base salary is the most important and it's what you should be negotiating at the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. And we talk a lot about this in the association, right? We even call it a technique, the set aside technique, because you'll have employers, they'll want to kind of muddy the waters, which is another negotiation strategy, um, by saying, well, we can't give you a higher salary, but we can give you a higher 401k package or more paid vacation or better benefits, et cetera because that doesn't have as much of an impact as your ongoing salary. The salary adds up faster. It's more important. So the, the good response to that is always, you know, it, I'd really, it'd, it'd really be helpful if we could set aside everything but salary um, because salary is what's going to determine my cost of living in this location or something similar. Um, so just know this will make you feel more certain that negotiating your salary and focusing on that first is the most important thing to do. Okay, so now we're looking at a, another study from ZipRecruiter also. Uh, the title here is Key Takeaways from JOLTS Report. So this is a, a recent JOLTS report. It it's an acronym for job openings and a few other things. And basically what we're looking at in the figure is job openings have exceeded unemployment um, in the U.S., but really we've seen this trend worldwide, which is why we wanted to show this, for seven straight months. If we extrapolate this, we all know that it's – continued to climb in term of, terms of hiring. You've probably heard about this, maybe seen, seen in the news, but seeing this constant trend of, of increased job openings, what does, that, what does that say about the job market? What does it say about the, the job candidates? Um, yeah, it's saying that there is a huge opportunity for those job candidates to take the power, right? Like right. you are in control. It's a candidate-driven market is kind of the way they talk about it, that you have the opportunity to realize that there are a lot of openings and that you are a great candidate, right? So they need you. They need you to fill that opening and right. you can leverage that to um, help you negotiate, right? Get a higher salary. Exactly. And I think this it can't be overstated right now. Like we see this just in our, our articles. Like we were showing you some of the blog articles on Cheeky Scientists at the beginning. Over the last few months, the ones that are the most read articles all have to do with negotiation. What does that mean for you? It means that people are getting job offers a lot and it's a, uh, it's a job candidates market. Like Jeanette said, you, the, the ball's in your court. You have the advantage because of simple supply and demand. And you might be thinking, well, that can't possibly be true because I haven't received a job offer, et cetera. That's more, uh, more than likely have, having to do with the fact that you're invisible to employers right now. Maybe your, you know, your LinkedIn profile or resume isn't following best practices, but once you get in front of employers, they're going to want to hire you and they're willing to pay you more now than ever before. So it's a very, very exciting time uh, for PhDs. Did you negotiate your current salary and most recent promotion? So this is the next question we'll look at. This is at uh, the sophieblog.com under uh, an article called, Yes, You're Underpaid. Here's why and here's what to do about it. So we're looking at just four bar graphs here and it just has to do with different samplings. So one's all respondents. The other bar graphs for respondents who make between 50 and 74K a year. Uh, the next one's from 75 to 100K a year. And the final one's 100 to 150K a year. And then we see the bar graphs go from 50.5% down to 47.6, 44.7, and 31.5. And, and so basically what we see here is that people who are paid more negotiated more. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. What else can we draw from this? Um, I think it's worth, that's the biggest thing, right? Is that people who are earning the most money are negotiating the most often. And those people know what they're doing, right? If they know their value and they are willing to be confident and go and ask the question about, you know, what more can we do here? Um, and you just need to, I think realizing this is just so, it's so important. If you want to get yourself into those higher pay brackets, you're going to have to start negotiating. That's the bottom line of the figure for me. Yeah. And so for those of you who are looking at this and you're thinking, well, I really don't know if it's worth it. Like how much of a difference can it be? I mean, just look at the, the trends here. People, I mean, there's a, a large difference between 50 and 74K a year and 100 to 150K. Now, if you're in academia, you're probably, you can't even fathom maybe making 100 to 150K, right? You're thinking that's not possible or that's some other country or it's just, just not how it's supposed to be. It's wrong though. Um, you can make that, and a lot of it has to do with how well you negotiate, and especially how well you negotiate that first industry salary, because that's going to set the tone and kind of set that threshold that all of your promotions are going to be compared against, because most employers can ask your previous employer how much you made at the end of employment, or they're going to ask you that. And uh, some of you said, um, is this ba uh, graph backwards? It's not. So it's kind of like a double negative. These, this is the percentage of people who did not negotiate, yeah. right? So people who have a higher who end up getting paid more are less likely not to negotiate. <laughs> so they're more likely to negotiate. Yeah. It could be probably struggling. Use your PhD powers to do some math there. That's what we can yeah. think. <laughs> it does seem confusing, but for those of you listening by audio, hopefully that helps too. Uh, the next figure is which of the following ways do you use to determine what you should be compensated for, what you should be compensated for your job. Um, and, and there's a series of bar graphs, and then per label here, there's two different colors, right? So research online or consulting with current, current and former colleagues, right? So basically, how are you finding out about the salary? The first one is, you know, like going to salary.com or payscale.com. The second method, consulting current and former, former colleagues, that's like setting up informational interviews. And what's interesting here is the trend that we'll see, which we'll turn to Jeanette for. But again, the same kind of pay scale brackets are here. It's all respondents, 50 to 74K, 75 to 99K, 100 to 149K a year, and then 150K plus a year. What's interesting about this, Jeanette? Yeah, I really was excited when I saw this, this figure. So they are looking at the percentage of people, right, who just research online to find out the salary that they should be getting or who asked someone about it. Right. And so in that 50 to 74K bracket, uh, like 53% of people, so the majority of people were just looking online, right? Yeah. The same goes for that 75 to 100K bracket. They're just looking online. Um, and even for the 100 to 150K bracket, they're just looking online, the majority of them, right? Yeah. But when we get to that elite level, right, people who are making more than $150,000 per year, you see it flip. Yes. And the majority of people are asking their colleagues, right. right? So I think this is so valuable. We talk all the time about how important informational interviews are and how you're, that's the best way to get the real information. You can Google all you want, but talking to an actual person is never going to be the same. And that's just showing the value that you can, you're gonna, those people right. understand the value of their network and they're using it to understand their worth and get paid more. Yeah, so you're, I mean, your network, inform, uh, setting up informational interviews, it's the best way to really find out what you can get paid at a company versus just looking at a general pay scale uh, or salary.com website. So Jeanette, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you thank coming you. on for the Show Me the Data segment. Please thank Jeanette in the chat box if you haven't already. And we'll make sure that all of those links are in the post-show notes. Very excited to bring on our first guest here, Chris Voss. I'm going to show a short bio here, and then we're going to bring him on live. So Chris has used his many years of experience in international crisis and high-stakes negotiation to develop a unique program and team that applies these globally proven techniques to the business world. He uh, was the lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI, as well as the FBI's hostage negotiation representative for the National Security Council's hostage working group. During Chris's 24-year tenure, tenure with the Bureau, he was trained in the art of negotiation, not only by the FBI, but by Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. 
He has taught business negotiation in the MBA program as an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business and at Georgetown University. Um, he has taught business negotiation at Harvard University, guest lectured at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, the IMD Business School of Lausanne, Switzerland, and the Goeth, Goeth I always, I don't know if I said that right, Goeth School of Business in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, so Chris is here with us. I'm going to show his website, incredible website. Make sure you check it out. Just go to Black Swan LTD, Black Swan LTD. Um, this has an amazing number of resources. You can read the blog here, um, look at their negotiation services, and make sure you go today and get this book. This is phenomenal. I just ordered mine. In fact, uh, I love Chris's work and his writing. The book is Never Split the Difference. Over 2,000 reviews. It's on the Amazon charts. Five stars. I mean, over 90% getting five. Look at this. I mean, this is, uh, it's been incredibly reviewed, uh, incre an incredible number of positive reviews. Highly recommend it. We're going to put the links in the chat box, the post show notes. But now I'm going to go ahead and bring on Chris with us. He should be able to turn on his camera here. Please do me a favor in the ch chat box and welcome Chris. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you, man? Happy to be on. How's it going? Really, really well. I appreciate you being here. Everybody's really excited to, uh, to learn uh, from the negotiation master. We have a lot of people here who've never negotiated, don't really know what it is, makes them uncomfortable. So I appreciate you being here. My pleasure, man. My yeah. pleasure. And you can see the book in the background, Never Split the Difference. Congratulations on all of its success. Yeah, thanks. It's been good. I mean, Harper's been good. Um, everybody involved, Tal Raz, ridiculously great co-author. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's amazing. I see it at every every airport that I go to. It's uh, yeah, very popular right now. So, um, the the first the first question I wanted to ask is: You have this incredible negotiation background. Um, you've built this curriculum. Um, how can we apply it, or what are some of the principles of it that can be applied no matter what we're doing, and even in terms of job offer negotiation? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's pretty easy. Um... It's the book's laid out in layman, layman's terms. It's not complicated. It's not an academic book. It's not a heavy read. I mean, it's learning how to say simple things like instead of no, you say, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the opening story in the book. Yeah. And uh, you know, there are a lot of people that they get into the first 10 pages and they go out and they start making deals right away. I think it's magic. Mm. So it's, mm. it's pretty actionable. It's, it's, it's a layman's book. Yeah, and it is very easy to to understand. And sometimes I think, especially for our, our audience, we tend to overcomplicate things and we think that we have to have all the right answers. But like the example you just gave, asking like an open-ended question can be very powerful in negotiating. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the what are some of the phrases that you use that really get people talking? Right? Like some of these open-ended questions that really get the person on the other side of the table, like let's say an employer in this case, um, talking about what might be possible in terms of increasing a salary or whatever you're trying to get them to do. Yeah, well, and, and what we do is we use questions to shape thinking. We don't really use questions to gather information. So my question, how am I supposed to do that? I'm trying to shape your thinking into looking at my position. Mm. Um, you know, it does that every time. You're talking to an, an employer. Um, you know, what does it take to be successful here? Mm. Uh, a lot of people don't ask that question. Instead, they ask, what are you looking for in a candidate? Which is a stock question and a stock answer. Yeah. Now, what does it take to be successful here? Actually, the thinking that shapes on the other side is an employer hears that and they're like, oh, you're mm. trying to make sure you're successful with us as part of our team. You know, when we teach this stuff, we, we say, you know, what you say and what they hear. I want to say something that's going to make you hear a bunch of other things. And mm -hmm. we've had a lot of people we've coached in job negotiations. You know, there's always an interview panel on the other side, and there's always a guy in the interview panel that doesn't say a word. Yeah. And what does it take to be successful here? One of my students from Georgetown in a job interview, the guy on the other side that never said a word leaned, leaned forward and said, no one ever asked us that before. And then he laid it out. Now, the, the magic trick that just happened at that point in time, you get somebody who's telling you what does it take to be successful in that, with that employer, you've actually just recruited your first mentor. Mm. 
Because if they lay that out for you and they're wrong, they got something at stake. So what they're going to have a tendency to do from that point on without telling you is they're going to look out for you. You know, they're going to, they're going to keep you from getting blindsided. They unofficial mentors are far more important than official mentors. Mm. And that's how you recruit an unofficial mentor. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, and like you said, if they have, if they are telling you what to do, just to recap, they're going to feel responsible um, that if you do that, that you're going to be successful. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a, a powerful way that our questions can shape stuff. And everybody here who's watching, you know, you know the power of a question, right? Like a hypothesis is a question. It can direct people's thinking and their actions. So the exactly another another problem that I think certainly the people that are watching here, myself. And I'm sure you have a lot of experience with have is just the uncomfortableness of negotiating, right? They think that they shouldn't have to, or they make excuses for themselves. Like, Oh, I don't want them to take away the job offer. Or I don't want to lose. You've done some very high stakes negotiations. So how do you approach that? How do you handle that fear, that uncertainty? How do you temper it so you can think logically? Yeah. Well, you know, you focus on, on the moment instead of the, where you're going. One of the sayings we have is never be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. I mean, the whole idea is to get your focus off of the objective a little bit, because the more focus you're on an objective, the more tunnel vision you get, the less you see other options and opportunities. Hmm. And the more, you, the more out of the moment you are, the more you miss stuff. I mean, I was coaching somebody last night, and she was really, you know, what if this happens? You know, this didn't work out last time. I mean, and I said, look, this, uh, to some degree, this is walking a tightrope. You walk a tightrope, the guy walking the tightrope doesn't look at the other side of the Grand Canyon where he wants to go because he's going to fall off the rope. He looks down at his feet. He focuses on each step, make sure each step is right. And lo and behold, he's on the other side. So you get a lot better if you just get into the moment, get your head out of where this is going. What if this happens as a disaster? I mean, those are all distractions. As soon as you get into the moment and realize there's a lot of space between yes and no, I don't have to say yes. I don't have to say no. I can just respectfully explore and clarify without accepting or rejecting anything and a possibilities really open up. Yeah. I like that word explore. That's a great way to think about it. What, what just might be possible. It's just a conversation and it takes the, the pressure off. You know, sometimes we often hear focus on your goal, but I think in this, uh, it's, it's so bad to focus yeah. on your goal. You get tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really have to ask you, I'm curious, given all of your experience, is there, has there been a time when you were in a negotiation yourself or one, you know, maybe working with a, 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 you know, somebody you mentor where something happened, one of those magic negotiation moments, and then you didn't even realize what happened until afterwards and somehow they shifted their perspective or just, you know, any of those kind of uh, really career highlights that you might be able to mention that would be, be incredible for us to hear. Well, we're always trying to create those moments. I yeah. mean, um, uh, you know, for, for my son is my director of operations, Brandon Voss. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> he's turned into a superstar in his early 30s. He's been dealing with a hostage negotiator since he was two, right? So he's gotten well, pretty good at it. <laughs> I can imagine. But, you know, he likes to say we're trying to create a series of emotional moments. What are those emotional moments? You know, emotional moment of feeling of bonding. And so as, as a general term, and, and, and the big one that, uh, that we didn't realize in the mo at the moment was the whole basis for the book. What's better than yes from the other side? What do you really want to hear from the other side? The words you want to hear from the other side are that's right. I mean, that's right is what people say when they're a thousand percent on board with you. Mm. You know, when you hear something you completely believe in, you say, that's right. I mean, you fully resonate. And you get that out of anybody. And we're working, a, we're working a kidnapping in the Philippines. Terrorist, killer, murderer, sociopath on the other side has got an American. They're asking for this ridiculous ransom demand of $10 million. But it's not ransom. It's war damages. War damages. For 500 years of oppression. From all the different colonial powers that have gone through the Philippines. Now, of course, this is nonsense. Right. But this is what everybody does when they're making arguments where their position isn't all that well supported or they feel insecure about their position. They start throwing in stuff in the past that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was 500 years ago. I mean, everybody here has been in an argument with somebody where you say to yourself, wait a minute, this, 
<laughs> I wasn't even here when this stuff you complain about happened. You know, this is this that was a guy before me. That doesn't yeah. stop people from doing it. So, you know, we 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 floundered with this for a little while and the negotiator I'm coaching, I finally say, look, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna get a that's right out of our terrorist. You're gonna summarize his perspective, not ours. We're not gonna make an argument. And we're not gonna counter argue. We're gonna say everything this person has said, and we're gonna say their arguments more passionately than they've said them to us. We're gonna be fearless. And we're gonna keep saying their arguments passionately until this sociopath says, that's right. I write this up in a document. And at the time, I just look at this as 101. You know, negotiations, what we now call tactical empathy 101. I'm just trying to hit the reset switch. Mm. My guy gets on the phone with the terrorist two days later, lays it all out. You know, you don't want ransom. You want war damages, economic harm, 500 years of oppression, Spanish to the Japanese to the Americans, all this nonsense, right? Lays it on thick which leaves the other side with nothing to say, except that's right. That's right. And we went from $10 million to zero when the words that's right came out of that terrorist's mouth. The ransom demand went away. Wow. So uh, now your book does a great job of taking something like that and drilling it down to a, a concept or a principle that, you know, I, I can go do it a job interview. And yeah. So so how can I how can I get a that's right out of the person sitting across from me at a at a site visit when they've given me you know a salary and they use something like oh there's a salary cap or any of these things that they try to say to to get you from negotiating you know what what can you do to to have that kind of bonding moment with with an employer yeah it's it's it's, it's actually really simple it, you know it's the stuff that we're afraid to say i mean and, and that you, you could look at an employee and go like look you guys are restricted here i mean you guys are under a lot of pressure you know you got a lot of people inside your company that you really like them they're good people but you you know you disappointed them and you're a little worried that you're going to bring somebody else in that you really like with a great resume but they're going to underperform I mean, you guys want to take your company to the next level and you want people that are committed to taking you to the next level. Employees that are not selfish, that are not just looking out for themselves at all. You know, what's in it for me? You don't, you don't want people that are saying that to themselves. You want people that are saying to themselves, what's in it for us? How do we get to the next level? How do we do a better job feeding our families, putting our families in better houses, putting our kids in better schools? How do we succeed as a group? That's right. Your <laughs> <laughs> employer, potential employer, is going to be blown away by that. Mm. And they're, gonna, they're just going to be blown away by it. And, that, and, not, and then that's the that's right moment. Mm. That's when the, the, what you say and what they hear. And what they hear is this person wants to make us successful. Mm. This person wants to help me have a better life for my family and my children, better future for my children. Mm. And, and that makes you immeasurably valuable mm. and also gives you the opportunity. Now, what do you want out of that employer? You want to be involved in key strategic projects. You want to build your career. You want to build your resume so that if they don't promote you, your experience with them is so phenomenal that you go out and say yourself to the highest bidder. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 for those of you watching, we talk about that a lot. You know, how can you reframe it for yourself that the ball's really in your court and you're not begging, um, you know, which is almost like the, the opposite of negotiation, right? So <laughs> yeah. I, I have uh, two last questions for you. One is for people that are just anxious people, like they're watching, like, I'm never going to be a hostage negotiator. You know, I, I have trouble just, you know, maybe having a conflict with another person during the day what advice do you have, you know, in the book yourself on people who are just generally anxious to help them get through a, a negotiation without, um, you know, resisting it too much? Yeah. Small stakes practice for high stakes result. I mean, you know, Tiger Woods didn't win the masters last time around by waiting to the masters to get out on a golf course. Mm. You know, he's out on a putting green, he's out on a driving range. He's engaging in the process 
where there's no stakes whatsoever. Small stakes, nothing at stake. So he can perform, he can practice, he can get his reps down and get his muscle memory up. Mm. What am I talking about? Engaging the Starbucks employee with a little bit of engaging banter. You know, your Lyft driver. You know, see what it takes to get a that's right out of a Lyft driver. You, you're, you're sitting in a Lyft for, you know, anywhere from seven to 25 minutes anyway. Work on them. They're unsuspecting. <laughs> yeah. Make them feel better through the interaction. <laughs> you know, get, get yeah. your small stakes. Um, uh, and the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. I get a, this guy that did this website called Secrets. Tell me your secrets anonymously. He gets a brand new coffee cup from a Starbucks employee because the question is, are you in a negotiation when you're ordering coffee? The Starbucks employee sends him a note. I give decaf to people who are mean to me. Wow. That was a negotiation, right? Everybody yeah. can implement with you. You know, everybody yeah. out there that you think you're developing a tolerance for caffeine Maybe you're being mean to your Starbucks. <laughs> They're giving you decaf. <laughs> I knew there were some days where it just didn't feel right. Uh, that's amazing. L last question I have. So we have a lot of, um, so we have a lot of PhDs, a lot of driven people. And when we do, you know, our little kind of negotiation exercises, sometimes you see a, that competitive drive kick in, right? And they have a real hard time, you know, myself included, when I was doing my first negotiations, where I don't understand win-win. Like I just want to win. And you think like you have to get what you want. So how, how can you help us? And, and, you know, we can end on this. How can you help us get into that more relaxed frame of mind or whatever mindset we need to be in for, for win-win? Um, the Goldman Sachs exec from way back, Gus Levy, I think was his name, used to say greedy, yes, but long-term greedy. Mm. How do I get out of short-term gain, long-term losses, into steady long-term gain? Tom Girardi is a phenomenal trial attorney. I'm living in L.A., lives in L.A. now. Superstar, superstar. Blue-collar, nothing, starting out now, billionaire. Tom Girardi, if he's on the other side of the table from you, you better give in. Mm. Tom Girardi's description of negotiations, he says, the secret to negotiation is being nice and gentle. You deal with Tom Girardi, you feel phenomenal about the outcome. You don't feel like you lost. Mm. Tom's smart enough to know that how does he go from being a, you know, this blue collar, lower middle class Jewish kid with nothing to literally being a billionaire. You know, you're not rolling up your enemies. You're not rolling up the tally of people that feel beaten by you and then want to turn around and get you back. The secret to win-win is, you know, and Tom doesn't give in easy either. Mm. You know, there's, you know, Oprah doesn't give in easy. Oprah's a sweetheart. How to be nice and not give in. That's the real key. You, you deal with Oprah, you don't, or Tom or Warren Buffett. Mm. Nobody feels like they lost when they interact with those people, but those people get their way. I mean, Oprah is not a pushover. Tom's not a pushover. Warren Buffett's not a pushover. You don't make the other side feel beaten if you want ridiculous long-term success. And it's really, how did you make the other side feel during the process? Amazing. Chris, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. Congratulations on all the books, success. Um, really appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Please do me a favor and thank Chris in the chat box or wherever you're watching us live right now. Um, also, do me a favor and go get Chris's book. Do yourself a favor. Go get Chris's book. Never split the difference. Uh, amazing. Uh, be nice in general. Never give in. The book is called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. Chris Foss, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so we'll get all these links in the chat box for you one more time, and we'll be sure to put them in uh, to the post-show notes as well. You can go to Chris's website, Black's, Black Swan LTD, whenever you want to. And um, make sure you reach out to Chris uh, on his website or on LinkedIn. Tell him you saw him at Cheeky Scientist. And one more time, the book, Never Split the Difference. Um, incredible talk. So saw the chat box. was very, very active. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. Are you a PhD student or postdoc who wants to get an industry job? Are you tired of being paid one third or less of what you are worth in academia? 
but you don't know where to start. Maybe you've been uploading resumes over and over again, but you haven't heard anything back from an employer. Go to phdsgethired.com and get our free materials on how to get hired in industry. All you have to do is go to phdsgethired.com put in your name and email address, and we will send you our resume guide, our networking scripts, and our other free trainings to help you start your job search now. Again, just go to phdsgethired.com. We're gonna go right to our next guest. We're gonna be zeroing in on a specific career track now. This is what we do every radio show. We bring in our external leadership guest, and then we bring on somebody, a PhD, who comes through our Cheeky Scientist Association, who's working in industry now to talk about that career path so that you can start to understand all the options you have out there for yourself um, in industry. Sometimes it can feel like there's only one or two job options, you know, something similar to what you're doing right now in academia, but there's not. There's a lot of different career paths. And today we have on Mansi Khanna. Uh, she is a PhD and a regulatory writer at Synchrogenics a Sertara company where she prepares clinical documentation for national regulatory agencies for assessment of the safety and efficiency of drugs. Her inspiration stemmed during her postdoctoral studies in the drug discovery group at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, she became interested in the final stages of drug development, uh, including late stage clinical trials and marketing. Um, she was also the editor with the Postdoctoral Editors Association and a peer reviewer for multiple journals. She's a big fan of Harry Potter and the Cat in the Hat. We will put her LinkedIn page here. Just go to linkedin.com slash in slash mansi.kana and BB853626. If you're listening by audio, we'll put the links in the chat box as well. And I'm going to bring on Mansi with us now. Mansi, you should be able to start your video here. Please do me a favor in the chat box, the comment box, wherever you're watching and say hello to Mansi. Hi, Mansi. Hi, Isaiah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking some time to talk about your career. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so the, the field of regulatory affairs, regulatory writing, these are growing quickly. And it's just because of the increased regulation and the kind of the balances between uh, making sure you're following, you know, the government's rules and regulations and the companies can still grow and expand. How did you find out about this career path? How did you get interested in, in uh, regulatory affairs or regulatory writing? So as, I'm, as you read out in my bio very kindly, um, I started getting interested in medical writing specifically during my postdoctoral years at the University of Pennsylvania. I started to look at careers away from the bench because I realized pretty early on during my postdoc that more than actually doing the experiment, and this is in no way looking down on anyone who loves the bench, because I did as well, but I more enjoyed um, actually analyzing them. And it didn't matter to me whether the data was mine or someone else's in a paper, but that seemed more exciting to me than actually doing the experiment myself. Mm. So I started to look at ways in which I could leave the bench, but still be associated with the science part of it, where I could still see the data, like data-driven careers, mm. but not necessarily generating the data myself. And so medical writing came up. Now, medical writing um, can be of two kinds. One is the regulatory path, which I took. And the other one is just regular medical writing, where you could be doing posters, manuscripts, yes. you know, a lot of different um, kind of writing. But I, being in the drug discovery group, realized that not only do I like analysis of data, but I like to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of drug development. Mm. And so that's how I chose the regulatory path and started looking specifically at how I could stay within the, the realm of regulatory writing opposed to just, you know, just medical writing in general. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us have had a lot more exposure to this career path. It's easy to talk to people and set up informational interviews with people now that are there, but it's, it is still fairly new in terms of the, the size of it. So I think it's a, it's a great path for you to go if you want to get into, you know, regulatory affairs, medical affairs, maybe you just want to start by writing, you know, regulatory writing. Uh, it, it can lead to a lot of open doors. So I'm going to come back to kind of your, you know, the next steps or career trajectory in a little bit, but I want to talk to you about what did the path, the, the job search path look like for this specific career? How did you find out about it? Did it start through networking, informational interviews? And then 
what did the interview process look like? Were there writing tests, et cetera? Sure. So um, I have to say off the bat that this, this job specifically did not result from networking. But I have to say, because I know a lot of um, new cheekies will probably be listening, that networking does not just mean getting a job. Networking also means zeroing in on what you think you might enjoy doing, but trying mm. to find out whether you really enjoy doing it or not. Mm. So for me, networking meant finding out about the careers that would take me off the bench. None of my, none of the people in my network, although they helped a lot, resulted in this job specifically. But that network that I built over my postdoctoral years really helped me hone in on the mm. fact that this is what I want to do. Mm. And that's how my network helped me. Um, specifically on this job, um, I actually found out, and I think all medical writers and aspiring medical writers should know about the hit list, which is run by Emma Nichols, um, very seasoned medical writer. She has um, a list that goes out, um, I think, I'm not sure if it's every week or every month, but if you get on that list, there's a lot of resources for medical writers mm. and they also post job openings on that. And that is how I found out about this job opening. It was wow. literally mind blowing to me that the job that was advertised was literally five minutes away from where I live. Wow. Uh, and I really couldn't believe it when I first saw it. <laughs> so wow. that, that is how I actually ended up um, where I am. But that being said, I think what is important is even if you're not going through your network, mm. have an updated, clean resume mm. that you can immediately send to the recruiter at the company, because that's what I did. Yes. Um, I was still in the process of making it a cheeky resume, but it was still in a place where I could send it to them with a focus on my role as an editor with my focus on a role as a collaborator during my postdoctoral years, everything mm. that they really wanted from their job posting. And mm. so I thought that was also instrumental in kind of getting me where I am. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, just, and just to recap. So then you found out about the job, right? Yes. And yes. you applied, you get, did you get a phone screen first? Did you have video interviews, a writing test? What happened next? I had a phone screen with their HR um, recruiter first, just to kind of gauge my interest, why I was interested in this position, why I was um, interested in writing when I had no real background in writing, you know, coming from a science background. Um, why do you want to transition into this career? What's your interest like? You know, things like that. Um, you know, which office do you want to be in? Would you be willing to relocate if you need to? You know, mm. things, things like that, general questions, but um, important all the same to gauge the interest of the person who's applying for the job. Um, after that screening interview, I had a writing test, which was a timed test. Mm. Um, and I think having given a lot of different kind of writing tests from medical writing um, careers, I have seen different kinds and it, it just really depends on the company that you're interviewing for. There's no real set, um, there's no real set way to, to prepare yourself for these. Mm. Uh, you may be given a writing test over an email to complete over a couple of days. Mine was a two hour time test, which meant that I had to do it within that platform, within that time after which it would just shut itself off. Wow. So it just it it just varies from company to company, I guess. Well, what did and what did that specific test question look like? Was did it give you like a something to read, and then you had to write a certain amount of words, or what? It was it was um, patient data, and I had to create narratives for that data. Mm. So it was a lot of numbers, and I had to bring it down to what exactly those numbers said. So mm. I had to narrate what happened to that patient from day one to day 100, for example. Mm. Perfect. And then, so you took the test. Did you have a site yeah. visit? I did have a site visit. So immediately after I did the test, um, I was invited for an on-site interview. And this was um, a, a, about two to three hours, I would say, of meetings with um, you know, senior writers, 
and um, also people who had, you know, been there just for a little bit so I could get an idea of, you know, how they have come in and how they're feeling about it. Mm. I was given one more um, test, but that was more of formatting and not writing specifically. So more to see if I could just follow instructions if I was given something, a document to format. Um, and that was mm. towards the end of the interview. Wow. And so and then you got the job. And now what do you do on a day-to-day basis? How much writing each day? Do, is it office, home, both? How does it work? It's both. Um, I do work from home if I need to. Um, but I enjoy being in the office. And I want to say this to people who feel that a writer does only that which is right. I have come to realize that this job is a lot of project management. Mm. It's a lot of talking to people. It's a lot of negotiation that Chris talked about before in terms of trying to get your client to kind of be on the same page as you, trying to understand what they want from you Mm. and trying to put your point across at the same time. Um, How to meet very tight deadlines. The day can change from you know, literally being a very relaxed kind of, oh, I'm going to sit and write for a little bit to, oh my goodness, something has happened. Drop this, pick this up because this has to go out right now. So it, it really varies from day to day, but on an average, um, it starts with me, you know, kind of going through my emails to see if any of the documents that I'm working on have, you know, anything new come up. Um, if not, then typically depending on the number of projects that I'm on, Um, I prioritize them on the basis of when they're due, when drafts are supposed to go out, if I need to send them the quality control. And then, you know, the day evolves with a little bit of writing. There are a bunch of meetings thrown in um, with the client or within the company itself, Um, you know, things like that. So I really have to say that I'm, I'm not an extrovert, but if you are a super, super introverted person, this job might not be for you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's important to say. I think, you know, just about any job in industry, there's going to be that communication aspect, coordination, yes. project management. So you can't see it as just a refuge where you can stay, yes. uh, you know, isolated. Um, yes. Final question, what does the career trajectory look like? Where do you see people going that move from writers, writing roles? Do they go into other writing roles? Can you go into other regulatory affairs roles that are not writing-based? What's next? I think what you, from what I know, having been in this um, career, like for a little bit over a year, you could either go into just pure writing, which means you just hone your writing skills, you know, you move up the ladder in terms of writing, or you can go project management and leadership roles as well, where you would be managing writers, you would be the face of the client, you know, for most writers. And Mm -hmm. so there's different ways to go. I know people who have just, you know, taken, um, you know, gone away from this and, you know, done regulatory affairs in companies rather than CROs, because a company that you like, you, what your client is also has a regulatory writer at the other end. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there, there are different um, ways that you can go, but it seems like there's a lot of um, flexibility in the path that you can take. And that's something I really like. Excellent. Well, Mansi, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for sharing your experience with us and congratulations again on your transition. Thank you so much, Isaiah. Thank you. Thank you. Please do me a favor and thank Mansi in the chat box if you haven't already. And uh, please tell her hello and thank her wherever you're watching the live stream. Uh, You can also go to her LinkedIn profile, which again, we'll put in the post show notes and in the chat boxes. Go ahead and connect with her because those connections are powerful and will help both you and her. Um, The more PhDs can be connected to each other, the better. Uh, as more and more PhDs get into industry, your options will continue to uh, increase. So again, thank you, Mansi. This takes us to the end of the public portion of our radio show. If you're watching us publicly, stay tuned for our next radio show. We are about every other Wednesday, every second or third Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a lot of great guests lined up over the summer. So make sure you go to phdsgethired.com. If you put your name and email on that page, phdsgethired.com, You'll get all of our info, all of our job search insights, and you'll get our radio show notifications too. Uh, Remember, we do have a special webinar tomorrow, a scientist MBA-sponsored webinar on mergers, acquisitions, takeovers, restructurings. If you want to learn more about the high stakes uh, 
activities that can happen in industry, which include a lot of the high stakes negotiations between companies. We're going to be talking about it tomorrow, June 20th uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you sign up for that. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you at the next Cheeky Scientist radio show. This takes us to the end of another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about transitioning into your first or next job in industry, just go to phdsgethired.com. Go to phdsgethired.com. We will send you all of our free training materials that will help you start your job search now or help you take it to the next level in business. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Bum, 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 b